I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. And a Merry Christmas to you. I hope that you are enjoying and and fully embracing uh, the Christmas spirit as we are still in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas. And of course, uh, we can go on for a while. I talk about this every year. Um, Christmas goes until, traditionally until Epiphany, which uh, is always on the 6th, but we move that in the United States to the nearest Sunday uh, within some other criteria, and so it, it falls where it falls. Uh, but uh, several years back, we split out Epiphany. Epiphany celebrates three mysteries, uh, the mystery of, and it's Christ being revealed to us. So Christ is revealed in the coming of the, the Magi, uh, and then Christ is also revealed at his baptism, and then he's also revealed in, in a more full way uh, at the wedding at Cana, where he performs his first miracle. So it used to be that on the 6th, on Epiphany, you would celebrate those three mysteries. But back in 1955, Pope Pius XII made a number of changes, and one of those things uh, was to give the baptism of the Lord its own commemoration date. So the way it's figured out is that Epiphany is, obviously, it's January 6th, uh, unless it's not celebrated as a holy day of obligation, which for us it's not. Uh, And so then it falls on a Sunday between the 2nd and the 8th. And if Epiphany falls between the 2nd and the 6th, then the uh, the baptism of the Lord is celebrated the following Sunday. But if Epiphany is celebrated on the 7th or the 8th, then the baptism of the Lord is celebrated on the Monday immediately following. So now that that is as clear as mud— this year, we go all the way till the 12th. Uh, January 12th, we'll celebrate the baptism of the Lord. You can keep your Christmas tree up until then. Uh, that's probably the furthest you want to do it, unless you're just really, maybe you have an artificial tree uh, or you're really good on your watering regimen. Uh, I don't know anyone personally who leaves it up until the presentation of the Lord on the 2nd. But we still do quite a few um, Christmassy kind of things, and we focus on the incarnation uh, here as a family during that time. So we've switched off of our Advent routine as we put the kids to bed, and now after our prayers, we uh, we sing a verse of Silent Night, and we want to keep them in that uh, that Christmas mindset. So we do all kinds of things. We make our Christmas candies right now. We don't do them during Advent because, um, one, it's, pen- it's a slightly penitential season, and so we want to try to avoid those things as much as possible. But, two, we really want to highlight that this is still Christmas. And so we did gingerbread houses and uh, uh, what, turtles? Oh, those are my favorites, uh, those, those chocolate caramel stuff. Uh, and, and we have a, every year a, uh, a Christmas party where we invite over uh, numerous different folks and we do Christmas carols. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, when we became Catholic and started practicing Advent as Advent and I became a little bit of a Scrooge and and avoided Christmas music during Advent. I really miss having all of the Christmas carols. That's one of the things that I I most love because here in these Christmas carols is such deep and rich theology. I specifically love listening to uh, different non-religious musicians with their Christmas albums. Everybody's got a Christmas album, and, and no small number of them 
go ahead and really pull out some fantastic theology, whether it be Oh Holy Night, where they're trying to show off their vocal cords, but what they're really showing off is the fact that God became man, right? Here they are, and they're, they're singing, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, right? They're singing about the incarnation, and what a joy that is. So we, uh, we keep the Christmas music rocking all the way through. This year, we did something a little bit different. Um, I grew up going Christmas caroling sometime before Christmas, and uh, of course, I'm a Scrooge now, a little bit of a bah humbug about Christmas music during Advent. But this year, I thought, you know, we've got a couple of different masses. I've got to go and be at the church for the five o'clock mass because I've got to run a couple of things and get it ready for the kids' choirs and whatnot. Uh, and then our family, we always go to the late mass, which our midnight mass at church this year was at 10 o'clock because that's the way that my parish runs it. Uh, and I thought, you know, what are we going to do between that five o'clock mid, uh, Christmas Eve mass and the 10 o'clock? Let's go Christmas caroling. Uh, and no one thought that that was an awful idea. And so we got home from that mass and got all the kids gussied up and in their proper outdoor attire. And we just went to our immediate neighbors uh, and sang some Christmas carols. And, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect because of the part of the country we live in is not terribly observant in terms of religion. I wasn't sure how it would be received. And it was just delightful. We had a fantastic time. Uh, and I think that that's going to become one of our longtime family traditions is that on Christmas Eve, we're going to go out and we're going to sing Christmas carols. And what a fantastic thing that is to do because we are proclaiming the charisma. We're proclaiming the gospel message that God, the God of the universe who created all things, wanted to be near us. He wanted to redeem us. He wanted relationship with us. And he did it in the most amazing way possible by becoming one of us. He did it by becoming human, fully human, so that he could redeem and sanctify our human nature and restore it into relationship with God the Father. And so we've got the kids, they're all bundled up, and they're cute, and how do you say no to that, right? You open the door, there's Christmas carolers, and it feels a little bit like a movie. Now, I would suggest uh, that you join me in Christmas caroling, but probably... <laughs> Probably people would look at you funny. Even though it is still Christmas, they'd look at you funny if you did it today. But what I would like you to do is tell me what your favorite Christmas carol is. I really want to know. Maybe even tell me the line that sticks out to you the most. Do that over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about the gifts that God gives us at Christmas tide. We're talking with Derek Roddy right after this on Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
Merry Christmas to you as we are still right smack dab in the middle of the Christmas season. Hopefully you still got your tree up and have some way to celebrate as we uh, are just about finished with the octave of Christmas. That happens tomorrow. Uh, but the, the Christmas season continue. Uh, it continues all the way to Epiphany. But if you really want to stretch it out, uh, you can take it all the way to January 12th, which is the baptism of the Lord this year. That's where it falls liturgically. And if you really want to stretch it out, you can take it all the way to February 2nd, to the presentation of the Lord in the temple. Uh, because if there's one thing that we like to do, yeah, we have our penitential seasons in the church, but we really like the feasts. And so this is your opportunity. Uh, and it, to get the most out of it, to get the most out of uh, spiritually out of this season, we're going to have a conversation today with Derek Roddy. He's the Director of Evangelization and Discipleship at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Jackson, Tennessee. He wrote a piece on Catholic Exchange, which I encourage you to go read. We'll link to it on our social media. Christmas Tide reminds us that God has great gifts to give us. Derek, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure to you. Merry Christmas to you. And and to you and with your spirit, as we as we like to say. <laughs> That's right. That's so right. let's talk about this because Christmas is a time for receiving gifts, um, specifically in our society where we've kind of made that everything that Christmas is about. All of our uh, media consumption is directed towards finding the perfect gift and purchasing it and making that person happy, which uh, you as a father understand and know that about 45 seconds after they have unwrapped it, there's this Christmas crash. Crash. <laughs> All the anticipation is now deflated and there's nothing more to anticipate. And I wanted this thing so bad, but now I have it in my hands and what good is it? Mm-hmm. These are just icons of the gifts that don't leave us uh, disappointed. And these are the gifts that you mentioned. So why don't you take us uh, on this little journey of what it is about Christmas Tide uh, that that prepares our hearts for deeper discipleship. And what are these gifts that will leave us not disappointed at the end of the day? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, the, the, the image of kids opening things and I got this. Yeah. That, that, that just, that really, really resonates. Um, and, uh, one of the reasons that I, I wrote this article, I, I got to reflecting, uh, being a, a a parish, you know, minister where you're uh, inundated with things from, let's say, early September through uh, basically Thanksgiving, um, and even into definitely into to December, um, leaves one a, a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit tired. And so, over the years, I've just reflected that, you know, when when Christmas is finally here. Um, I get that downtime that I need. I get that time, that moment, and and those you know those extended moments for reflection and and remembering what's beautiful about uh, about my family and and about the work that I do and all that kind of stuff. Um, so so that was kind of the the impetus for um, for writing this uh, this article, and um, it just you know it's a it's a reflection. Um, it's a growth out of the reflection on those particular images of things we we see in those gospel passages um you know i was praying with my kids last night um and uh we were we were praying over the um the christmas story that we had 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 heard read at mass on on christmas eve and you know i was drawing out for them the 
you know, I wanted to focus on the, the shepherds and, and what the shepherds received and what the shepherds did. And, um, you know, these, these, you know, anytime we can get into these images that God gives us, I think they are so fruitful. If we just spend time unpacking them, that's part of my, um, you know, affinity with Ignatian spirituality is take an image and just let it rest and, and let it unpack or unpack it there for, um, for an extended period of time, you know, we don't have to put God on a timeline, right? Right. you know? Um, so that's, uh, that's where it came from. I've, you know, got more about the, the, the particular images that I'm sure we'll get to. So. I, I'm a bit of a, a sci-fi movie person. And I think of this specific kind of Ignatian spirituality being like those detective scenes that you see in these sci-fi movies where the, the detective comes into the room long after the event has passed, but through the magic of technology, uh, displayed around him are all of the various things from that crime scene, and he can watch it and slow it down. And, you know, the point of the of this being, he can take longer than the event actually took, and he can spend time really scrutinizing each thing by immersing himself in that place. And this yeah. is such a profound way to read Scripture, is yeah. to, to take this story that we have heard and has been passed on to us and we know by heart and we know the, the images by heart. Oh, yeah, there were shepherds and wise men and, and angels and, and fields and night and stars and mangers. And, and to really take a moment to put ourselves in the middle of it and examine it as if we were trying to deduce something that's uh, not hidden in a Gnostic way, but that, that to us so removed is not immediately obvious. Right. And I would, I would add to that TL that, um, you know, that's the beauty of, of the Catholic celebration of Christmas over, as you said, either an octave or a 12 days of Christmas or a 40 days of Christmas. Um, you know, coming from a a background as a, as a non-Catholic, you know, Christmas was, was one day and it was done and on December 26th. And, and, um, you know, I have just found so much more richness as a Catholic in that opportunity to, I don't, I don't have to celebrate Christmas all in one day. I get eight days to, to unpack these things. And again, that's where, you know, that's where this article uh, came from is I, I actually did spend those days just unpacking these beautiful, these beautiful gifts and these beautiful images that the Lord wants to give us. So. And a lot of times we take these stories, Derek, at, at face value, right? The shepherds were there and they came and they, they adored, but taking the time to really examine that and put ourselves in the middle of it, we begin to see that God is telling us something by the fact that he told the shepherds first, right? And yeah. you, you bring this up that, that there is this, and the Catholic Church promotes this, this preferential option for the poor, that those who have nothing and are seen on the outs, outside of uh, the, the, the fringes of society, those are the ones that God goes and embraces and welcomes. And not only that, in, but he entrusts them with the message because it says that they go out from there uh, and, and sh- you know, they go around blabbing their mouth. They can't keep anything sec- secret because they are so okay. overcome by this. And it says okay. the people marveled at the, the testimony that the shepherds had. So he goes out and he embraces them and, he, and then he entrusts them with a mission. Uh, and the same is true in our day and age, whether it be a person who is in literal poverty or those of us who experience perhaps some, some spiritual poverty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a, 
I mean, that's something that I've, I've reflected on personally, you know, I am very blessed with a, um, you know, a, a good stable job and a good stable income. And, um, you know, you, from a, from a financial and, and social angle, right. With, you know, all the education that I have and all that, I would not be considered on the fringes of society. Um, and yet in a, in a, in a spiritual way, right. Just knowing myself and knowing the human state, knowing our constant need for, for conversion that I am on the margins, you know, personally. And then, you know, um, and, and, and this, this story teaches us that, uh, um, you know, God comes to those on the margins. So God comes to me too. And, um, he, he, he wants to give me this joy that, um, that only he can give that, uh, you know, is, is going to be this something special for, for my life with the impact again, the impact being that I would then go tell others. So, yeah, I think even though we, um, you know, even though we aren't, you know, on the outskirts of, of ancient Palestinian society, we can still interpret ourselves as the shepherds. I mean, we have, we, we are impoverished in whatever way it is. Maybe it's monetarily, maybe it's with education, maybe it's with, you know, social relationships, or maybe we've just, you know, maybe there's a, a, a an illness or something that's going on with us that we are not in full stature as we might be. And yet God still comes to us to give us this message of salvation. This is something I, I think is really important, important for us is this recognition that we all in some way are impoverished, not to diminish the fact that we have a responsibility with the, the, the corporal works of mercy to go out and care for those who are physically impoverished and that we need to, to invest our, our attention and our care toward people in that situation. And yet I, I subscribe a little bit to a Benedictine spirituality that, that there is this recognition that no matter what state of life I am, uh, no matter how I find myself financially, I have to, in humility, recognize that I, I by myself, without the grace of God, am truly impoverished. And really, I am on the outsert, outskirts of society, and I'm called to be there. And I'm called to be there because it's there that I experience the embrace of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've, you've mentioned this continual call to conversion, and this is something that um, is part of the universal call to holiness, that we always recognize in this place of impoverishment that I have to do, I have to con- continue to follow Christ. It's not a one-time choice. It's not a one, one thing that I'm, I did and I'm done and now we're good, that as we continually approach the sacraments, as we continually approach Christ, Christmas Day all throughout this season, we have to continue uh, in in this place of humility and reception, looking for those things that God is giving us. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like for you here as you approach Christmas? Yeah, well, um, again, just as I as I have have mentioned here, you know, understanding my my own need for God's grace, my own impoverishment, um, my sinfulness. Um, you know, I, I find a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of solace and a lot of consolation in, um, you know, in spending time with Jesus, uh, both in the, um, in the blessed sacrament, we're blessed to have a perpetual Eucharistic adoration chapel that can, that can help me unpack a lot of that. Um, Magnificat, uh, as it, as it relates to, um, 
to this particular season, Magnificat has this wonderful prayer in front of a um, in front of a manger scene in their December uh, issue. Um, so any of your your listeners who subscribe to Magnificat, I would highly recommend going and and reading that and praying that in front of the the crash, um, which is so. You know, as I'm as we're talking about these images that I'm drawing out in this article, right? It, it goes through each of those, you know, sort of images and and gives some of this um, reflection that can deepen this that God wants to do in us from that. So that would be a real um, special thing that my wife and I were able to do together, um, just to, in our in our private prayer time um, to to help grow this uh, in this season. Mm. And this is such one of my favorite things here in this Christmas season is that parishes put up a crash and, and uh, their various levels of involvement. One of the things I want you to do is to go over to your social media, take a picture if you haven't yet of your crash and your in your parish tomorrow and post it on social media because I want to take a look at what you're meditating with. You can do it over on our social media uh, on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Put a hashtag on it, hashtag Parish Crash, so that we can all enjoy together. We're talking today with Derek Roddy. He uh, has this great piece over on Catholic Exchange. we got a link to it on our social media. He's also got a book we're going to talk about in a little while, The Life of Conversion, available on OSV, osv.com. We've talked about identifying with the shepherds, but when we come back, we're going to take a look at what we can learn from the kings. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Derek Roddy. He is the Director of Evangelization and Discipleship at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, He's got a a great book. It came across my desk, oh, a few months ago now. And uh, at the time, I sat here and I'm like, oh, this this seems right up my alley. It's something I want to call and interview and and read. And, you know, it got put on the book stack. And (laughs) lo and behold... Uh, I hadn't gotten to it yet. And uh, so I was reading around right before Christmas. I came across this piece on Catholic Exchange uh, that is is beautiful. Christmas Tide reminds us that God has great gifts to give us. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, this is really, this is good. This is uh, something that is worth exploring and, and diving into more deeply. And lo and behold, here is your name at the bottom of it. And I recognized it, and there's the book, The Continual, the Life of Conversion, Meeting Christ in the Gospels, available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Uh, and so I reached out, and so we're going to kill two birds with one stone today because Christmas is one of those things that reminds us that we're not there yet, right? Even Christmas by itself, looking at salvation history, it is the the um, the inauguration of Christ's kingdom on earth. Here he is, uh, God made man, Emmanuel. God is with us, but in humility and in vulnerability, and not yet even to the cross, much less to the full redemption of all creation. So we have to recognize that even in that moment where we 
first come to the manger, where we first come into this place of recognizing our need for the Christ child, it's not the end point. It's just the beginning of a journey that will take us not only our whole life, but will take us through to eternity. So we're talking today with Derek Roddy. Derek, thanks for joining us again today. Uh, thank you for having me, Tony, again. So let's uh, let's take a look at, we talked just before the break about recognizing ourselves in the shepherds in this Christmas story. Uh, you, you then go and you jump in your article, and I want to jump here as well, to taking a look at ourselves uh, in light of the wise who come uh, and offer their gifts to the Christ child there at the manger. Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the one of the profound things that I uh, was given by a, a good friend who's a, a priest and theologian um, about this image, about these image of, of the Magi, as we call them, you know, we, he says, he says, we sing this, uh, this hymn every year at the Epiphany, we three kings. And um, the reality is they weren't kings. Mm -hmm. They were they were uh, astronomers and mathematicians and cartographers, um, and they were the intelligentsia of their day, the ancient Near East, the, the Chaldeans, um, you know, if you remember that, that area of the Bible. Um, and so what we, we can take from this is that, you know, there are lots of people like me who, who think we're really smart and, and know what we're talking about and, and um, you know, think we're on the cutting edge of finding you know, the way to the good life, right? And and yet, here are these these men who knew the ancient uh, oracles, you know, all the way back from, you know, the book of Numbers, right, um, in, in, the, in the Torah. Um, and they know that so well that they say, you know, this thing that we've been doing is not the fullness. We got to go looking for the fullness. Um, and I just, I find such power in that for somebody, especially like myself, who, who, who sometimes thinks more of, of his abilities and his production than, than probably anybody else does, um, that, um, you know, that, that I need to, to, to humble myself and, and as they were humble. Um, and, and then, of course, there's the, the reality that came to me as I reflected on this, that, you know, while they've got all these cool things that they've learned in mathematics and science, you know, they find the fullness of it right there in the, in the crash, in the crib, in the manger. Um, and where do we find that? Um, yes, in the crash scene that we have during the Christmas season, but more specifically at mass every Sunday, or those of us who communicate daily or almost daily, you know, every day, right? We, that needs to be the culmination of our day or our week. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that I've definitely tried over over my years in ministry is to is to remind people that you know Sunday Mass is the most important thing in our lives. It's the most important thing we will ever do in our lives because it, it is the culmination of what God has always intended to do with us and in us and through us. You you bring something up in your article, Derek, that um, that reminds me uh, of uh, something that was preached in our midnight mass homily that, that I've heard a couple of different places that one, uh, Christ was born in Bethlehem, city of David. Uh, we know that we've heard that many times and, and he was there because his uh, foster father, St. Joseph was of the house in the line of David. Um, and some of us may have even heard, perhaps you haven't Bethlehem in Hebrew means the house of bread. Uh, well, 
Christ is the bread of life, and here he is born in the house of bread. But in Arabic, it means the house of meat, right? And so now you have this, again, this double meaning coming from the word Bethlehem, that Christ is coming in the flesh to give himself. He says, the, the, uh, the bread that I give is my flesh for the life of the world. Uh, and then, me, and then he was born, of all places, in a feeding trough there yeah, in the manger yeah. where nourishment was given to the animals. And so here we are, yeah. the recipients of, of those images. Yeah. And I would add, I would just add to that, there's another, um, you know, uh, Mediterranean language. I, I think it's Maltese where uh, the, the word Bethlehem means house of the face. Um, so you've got this, this, you know, this triumvirate, if you will, of, of um, you know, bread, meat, and, and face, right? And I, I actually was just uh, recently on, an, on another interview on Radio Maria, and, and they were asking about this encounter, right? And my, my point was that the encounter is the place where we meet Christ face to face. And, and there's, there's nothing better than, than seeing that and receiving that. Yes, in these images, but especially in our own Bethlehem, our own house of bread, the worship of the church, the mass. Yeah. You know, as we talk about this, and we're bringing out all of these really cool and interesting points that you can find in, in the images of, of Scripture or in the Scriptures themselves, uh, this can easily turn into trivia night, right? Somebody leaves this, this interview, the, this uh, hearing this conversation, with new information. And yet the purpose of this season uh, and, and the purpose of meditating on these images, if, as you've talked about, is that face-to-face encounter. So how do we take what, what for you has been encounter, because you've spent time really chewing on these images uh, over the course of the holiday season, uh, how would you encourage someone else turn this into something more than just new information, but into an encounter with the Christ child this season? Yeah. Well, the thing that, the thing that comes to my mind is um, learning to engage in that um, in Ignatian meditation uh, and particularly the Ignatian practice of the, the spiritual examine. Um, there's a wonderful app that's out there. It's called the examine prayer and it'll set little reminders and it's got the questions that you walk through. You do it right there on your smartphone and it's, um, it's fantastic. And, you know, if you, if you take those, those images to that period of meditation, as, as, as it's happened with me, it'll just, it'll grow, it'll germinate. That's what the Lord does. Um, so I would, I would recommend, you know, that type of, um, you know, uh, prayer activity, um, especially, like I said, during this season when we have, maybe we have a little more time, we've got some downtime and we can say, you know what, I can take 20 or 30 minutes or even an hour to, um, to do that. If, if your listeners are, are blessed to have, you know, adoration chapels at their parishes, take that to the, the adoration chapel and sit in front of our Lord and, and say, Lord, what, what do you want to give me out of this? That's, um, that's, that's all I have done you know, in, in my own, um, prayer experience, my own spirituality to, to just let the Lord do what he wants to do. Right. And try to get out of his way. <laughs> right. So here in, as we've talked about the, the Kings, they come and they give these gifts, which of course point to Christ's, uh, role as priest, prophet, and King. Uh, and, but they also give us an image that there are riches 
that are given in this season. And God wants to give very particular gifts to us. And you mention uh, in your piece, you mentioned the charisms, these spiritual gifts that God gives to each of us that are tied in really closely with, um, with this idea of continual conversion. Can you expound on that just a little? Sure. So, uh, yeah, the, the word charism simply means uh, grace or gift, right? And it's, a, it's used as a, um, uh, a term to distinguish, you know, actual grace or sanctifying grace from these, these particular gifts that, that have been bestowed on us in, in baptism, right? So every person who is baptized um, receives not just the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, but a particular set of charisms that are to be used to build up the kingdom, right? And so um, as we look at these, we, we realize that, yes, God wants to make me holy, but God doesn't just want to make me holy. And so he's got to have a way, and he does indeed have a way to, to help build up the rest of the body of Christ, through me and with me, right? And UTL in the, in the same way, does the same thing to you so that we are mutually benefiting from each other and growing because we see, oh my gosh, the Lord is working through me to do such wonderful things. And, you know, and, and the Lord has worked through TL to do such wonderful things to help me, right? It, it's a, it's the snowball effect. It's the building effect that, you know, eventually we come to see just how amazing God is in, in, in all of his intricacies and all of his plans and, um, you know, learning the charisms and learning um, the, the application of that life of, of um, what you might call charismatic living has been a, a real eye-opener for me. Well, and in speaking of these gifts, these charisms that we receive, um, the church in Vatican II in the decree on the apostolate of the laity refers to the the role of the lady as being to sanctify the world. In paragraph 16, it says, regardless of status, all lay persons are called to this type of apostolate and obliged to engage in it. This type of apostolate is useful at all times and places, but in certain circumstances, it's the only one appropriate and feasible. And that while there are many forms of the apostolate whereby the laity build up the church, sanctify the world, and give it life in Christ, a particular form of the individual apostolate, as well as a sign especially suited to our times, it's the testimony of the whole lay life arising from faith, hope, and charity. Our role is not a passive one, uh, but like the shepherds, as we have received from God and, and given his message, we also then are obliged in a certain way uh, to take it out and to through that to sanctify the world. Parishes are um, the places where we're supposed to be equipped, not just to meet Jesus, but to take Jesus out into the world to others. So, We've been talking today with Derek Roddy. I encourage you to go pick up his new book, A Life of Conversion, Meeting Christ in the Gospels, available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. You can find a link to it over on social media at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. You'll also find a link to his recent piece on Catholic Exchange called Christmas Tide Reminds Us That God Has Great Gifts to Give Us. When we come back, we'll approach our reading from Scripture and Church History. There's more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we had a great conversation with Derek Roddy. He's got a brand new book on our Sunday Visitor Press called A Life of Conversion, Meeting Christ in the Gospels. And this is something that um, that's really dear to my heart, something that probably I talk about far too often. Uh, it's a, a soapbox of mine, and it's this, that every good Catholic, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here, every good Catholic is a convert. And of course, what I mean by that is that each of us, as we respond to the universal call of holiness, whether you were baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church and you are uh, affectionately self-titled a cradle Catholic, or whether you're like me and you came in as an adult, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are living your life in response to the universal call of holiness, then you have had multiple conversions. Each of us daily wakes up and examines our lives and looks at ourselves and says, what do I need today? What do I need to do today to follow after Jesus? And in that, every time that we lay down our own will, every time that we let go of our desire to uh, to be perturbed or to respond in a negative way, and we choose to put on Christ and to to walk in the, the grace of the sacramental life, then we are walking through a conversion. And so anyone who is living out the Catholic life fully is a convert because they are converting each and every day. And this book unpacks that really well. I, I want to encourage you to, it's a really easy read. I want to encourage you to go pick it up. Again, that book is A Life of Conversion, Meeting Christ in the Gospels by Derek Roddy. He was our guest today, and we were talking about Christmas tide, about this season of Christmas and what we can learn uh, the, the, about the gifts that God wants to give us, about the life that he wants us to live. Uh, it was spawned by a piece on Catholic Exchange. I've got a link to that over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. If you missed any part of the discussion, maybe you tuned in late today, or if you want to share this episode with your friends, you can access all of the archives, including this episode, over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, after you hit the share button this week and put it on your social media, uh, there's extra content. There's an extra, a little bit more than 10 minutes of conversation with Derek as we continued that conversation and dug a little bit deeper into the topics and I give those extra segments each and every week to those people who support the show through Patreon. Without that support community, we would not be able to keep bringing this show to you week in and week out. And so I'm so very grateful for all those who already support the show. And I want to invite you to become a part of that community. Uh, there is extra content, the extra posts and articles and things that we put up there uh, on the Patreon site. And then there's also these weekly extra segments you can get to that by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. And up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see the link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. There you can find a couple of segments that are unlocked so you can get a sense for what's offered. And then you can also join the community that supports the show and keeps us on the air. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, in times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through the Son, 
whom he made heir of all things, and through whom he created the universe, who is the refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being, and who sustains all things by his mighty word. When he had accomplished purification from sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, as far superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, this day I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he leads the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. That reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And I love these these kinds of readings, uh, whether it be from Scripture or from, uh, there's some lovely poems out there that point to this as well, this, this idea that helps us unpack what Emmanuel is, what the Incarnation actually pulled off, that the God who created the universe, who spoke and a, the worlds were formed, who said, let there be light, and just by his will and his word, there was light. This same God took on human flesh and human nature and experienced the fullness of human experience down to gestation in a womb, uh, down to maybe cuts and bruises and scrapes and who knows, went through all the, the pain and the suffering that the human body could endure. And he who is omnipotent surrendered himself and submitted to powerlessness. And as we spend time meditating on the Incarnation this Christmas season, I encourage you to try and wrap your mind around that, to ask for the grace to understand it and receive it, that God really did become one of us for our sake, to reconcile us again back to God the Father. Our reading from church history comes from Tractates to the First Letter of John by St. Augustine. Our message is the word of life. We announce what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have touched with our hands. Who could touch the word with his hands unless the word was made flesh and lived among us? Now this word, whose flesh was so real that he could be touched by human hands, began to be flesh in the Virgin Mary's womb. But he did not begin to exist at that moment. We know this from what John says, what existed from the beginning. Notice how John's letter bears witness to his gospel, which you just heard a moment ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Someone might interpret the phrase, the Word of Life, to mean a word about Christ, rather than Christ's body itself, which was touched by human hands. But consider what comes next. And life itself was revealed. Christ, therefore, is himself the word of life. And how was this life revealed? It existed from the beginning and was not revealed to men, only to angels who looked upon it and feasted upon it as their own spiritual bread. But what does Scripture say? Mankind ate the bread of angels. 
life itself was therefore revealed in the flesh. In this way, what was visible to the heart alone could become visible also to the eye, and so heal men's hearts. For the word is visible to the heart alone, while the flesh is visible to bodily eyes as well. We already possessed the means to see the flesh, but we had no means of seeing the word. The word was made flesh so that we could see it, to heal the part of us by which we could see the word. John continues, And we are witnesses, and we proclaim to you that eternal life which was with the Father and has been revealed among us, one might say more simply, revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have heard and seen. Make sure you grasp the meaning of these words. The disciples saw our Lord in the flesh, face to face. They heard the words he spoke, and in turn, they proclaimed the message to us. So we also have heard, although we have not seen. Are we then less favored than those who both saw and heard? If that were so, why should John add, so that you too may have fellowship with us? They saw, and we have not seen. Yet we have fellowship with them because we and they share the same faith. And our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. And we write this to you to make your joy complete. Complete in that fellowship, in that love, and in that unity. That reading comes from the Tractates on the First Letter of John by St. Augustine. As we meditate on these mysteries, it can seem a little bit unbelievable. And it would be easy to say, you know, I can't, I just can't suspend my reason quite that far. Uh, lots of people have trouble with it, and, and they think that either they have to blindly believe something and hold it to be true, uh, or um, that this won't stand up to reason. But the truth is in between. Faith and reason go together, and our reason brings us to a place and right up to the edge, and then we ask for the grace to take us the rest of the way. I think of the angel's message to Zechariah and to Mary and to their different responses. Zechariah, when John the Baptist was prophesied, says, how can I know this will be? And Mary, when Christ was prophesied, said, how can this be, since I know not man? And those those. Questions seem very similar, but they're different because one says, I I don't buy this and I don't believe you. How can I know this is true? And Mary said, this doesn't really fit with my understanding of the world. So help me understand it. And that should be our, our perspective when meditating on these mysteries. God, help me to understand these deep mysteries of your love for me. That's all the time we have for this week. This week's show is brought to you by Joe Roberts and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link to join their numbers and get extra content each and every week. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.